0: Shot Podcast is presented by onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're talking to the editor of Gun Dog Magazine, Callie Parmley. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 217. Welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We've got a great episode coming up with friend of the show, Callie Parmley, editor of Gundog Magazine. We'll get to that in a minute, but I do want to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. As always, those people making contributions to the show, helping to keep these episodes coming to all of you. For their support, they are eligible for monthly giveaways. At our Final Rise Turkey Vest last month. This month, we've got an Onyx Elite subscription card. They get bonus content, some bonus episodes, hit the Patreon page. And we set everybody up with birdshot podcast, canned coolers and stickers starts at five bucks a month. You can check it out at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right, everybody else. Don't forget to leave a rating review, subscribe to follow the show, whatever you can do in your podcast app or player. Those things just take a moment of your time and are also very helpful in supporting the show as well. All right. It's been a great week up here in my neck of the woods. We had some really warm weather felt like it was long overdue. I imagine temps got pretty high in some other areas of the country, but up here we needed it and we're melting some snow and starting to feel like spring, which is fitting as I'm recording this on Wednesday evening, the Minnesota turkey hunting opener, which I will not be participating in quite yet. We are not ready to hit the woods yet in this area, but I'm certain there are some listeners out there in Minnesota that maybe were out on the opener today, and if not today, in the very near future. So best of luck to everybody out there chasing spring turkeys. All right, that's all I got this week. Let's get into our conversation today with Callie Parmley, editor of Gun Dog Magazine. Been on the show before on episode number 154. Callie's back today to catch up. We talked plenty of bird dogs today, some pointing dog and flushing dog stuff, and eventually we preview a new TV show Callie was working on last fall. That'll be airing next week called Wild Upland on the Outdoor Channel. Talk about that a little bit as well, but let's jump right into it and welcome into the conversation and back to the Birdshot Podcast, Callie (laughs) Parmley. not a beer sparkling water <laughs> Should be <a>
1: beer, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's beer drinking weather here kelly i gotta say
1: oh it's it dumped last week and now it's 70 degrees here so <laughs>
0: you got 70 out in utah I'm
1: pretty happy right now yeah we yeah. have been a very 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 long winter <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yes welcome back to the Chat podcast and i i will uh echo that sentiment i feel like at any moment, I might wake up from this dream because we've got our first legitimate uh, t-shirt weather here in Minnesota after the long winter and it's about well, let me check it says 67 degrees which that's warmer <laughs> than they were even they were even predicting today but I'm still looking mm-hmm. at uh, piles and piles of snow I don't know about you
1: Oh well we got dumped on literally two feet in the mountains last week and now it's seventy degrees so it's all melting and, and nasty, but I have on a t shirt for the first time in five and a half months, so I'm I'm a happy. Person.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well it sounds like we got the same situation going on. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, we it uh my yard looks awful. everything is starting to show through, all the snow and uh mm-hmm. there's dirt and it's grimy, but uh it's amazing what, what that can do to the psyche. A little bit of sunshine and some warm weather.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, honestly, I, seasonal depression after five and a half months of this, I'm definitely feeling it. So that sunshine and vitamin D is doing me good right now.
0: So You know, I was thinking about that. I was out for a walk yesterday with the dogs and we're in a, it's a tough spot now. Cause we, I had this little snowshoe trail that I run all winter and now it's getting soft. So I'm, I'm punching through and I wore the snowshoes mm-hmm. yesterday and you know, it's a beautiful, nice day out there. But walking the trail was just such a chore. So we're in a transition period. But I I don't think too much about sort of seasonal effectiveness. You know, like I I know I live in the North Country. You get short days and winters can be tough. But the, the injection of like positivity and mood change that i feel when it is a sunny warm day is kind of like eye-opening like wow i didn't feel like this yesterday when it was cloudy and cold
1: right it is kind of funny and we've gotten um this year in utah 800 inches of snow which is a record
0: holy smoke oh,
1: yes like it it beat the record um in april of all things well if maybe maybe late march but it's like when you start thinking about that we're getting that much snow into april that tells you i mean it's a, it's a, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing because we need it for the drought, right? But we also, it's a bad thing for the wildlife, right? So, um, we've got herds of elk that are currently living down on golf courses in Salt Lake City because they can't find food up in the mountains because they can't dig through 800 inches of snow, and so and we're gonna, it's gonna be an interesting year to see how the wildlife fares and the birds, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. So,
0: yeah, that's. I'm sort of not in my, head. I was reading a, a listener and former guest of the show sent me a blog post that he had did, which he was sort of inspired by a conversation my buddy Nick and I were having about setter swimming, which I don't know if we'll get <laughs> into that today. Maybe, maybe we will, but. Might I, be the
1: funniest thing on earth, maybe. I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah. But his, his blog post was talking about some of those things about the toll on wildlife. He's out in Wyoming. Um, so mm-hmm. the toll on wildlife, given the snow and the conditions and. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing cuz I've been sort of saying all winter that it's been a we've had near record amounts of snowfall and I think it was a good pretty good winter for grouse, you know, they need the snow um mm-hmm. in this part of the world, but at the same time sort of wondering about deer and and turkey and that sort of thing and um like you said, it's a it's a wait and see thing and it's just kind of of interest as you as we're sort of casually observing, sure. but yeah, that sounds a uh, significant 800 inches of snow. Uh, good skiing weather, I suppose.
1: Oh, I've been skiing like crazy. but Have it, you? you? know, it comes. Yeah, and I really enjoy skiing. I'm not like some expert skier, and I enjoy it. But honestly, I went this past weekend. My dad was in town, and he's a big skier, and I took him out. And it's great to be skiing in April, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, I'm ready for spring. I'm right. ready for some summer camping, backpacking. And honestly, I haven't been able to even run my dogs because it, the snow is still so deep, even in the foothills that you're potholing up to your knees yep. and I mean, you're going to find birds there and the dogs are going to be worn out by the time you go 500 yards. So, uh, my poor Jones is about driving me nuts. Imagine have a, a setter in the house who can't run. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. And that's the, the sort of the realization that I was coming to yesterday. We're in that, that transition period where until the snow pack dissipates a little bit, uh, we're mm-hmm. going to be struggling to find a, a good place to run around here just to get I, our yeah. exercise in.
1: I mean, I can take him to the, the park of course, but that's not, that doesn't wear him out playing fetch with him for, right. and you know, 30 minutes doesn't wear out a setter. So anyways, that's yeah. all right.
0: In and in a normal year, if you didn't have so much snow, I, I imagine you'd be, you'd be able to get out and get on wild birds at mm-hmm. this point.
1: I'd already be doing it. Yeah. I'd already yeah. be trying to do it before the, you know, the nesting season happens and, we could run even after, as soon as the season's done, still run them and do training. But right now, it's just not even possible. Yeah. So it's a lot of snow.
0: It's We're chatting snow. on April 11th here, and in I don't know how universal it is, but April 15th is kind of the date around here for that you know officially quiet periods going to place, mm-hmm. and it varies based on sort of property. I, I actually had somebody asking me about this yesterday, and. Um, yeah, effectively, we're not going to have a wild bird season really here just because by the time the mm-hmm. snow is gone, uh, it will be after April 15th. So that's kind of a run up, bummer. Right? Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, because our season closes here um, right around Valentine's Day. Okay. And so could have been running them that whole time. And, but the snow honestly was, and I'm, I'm really not exaggerating. The snow is so deep that there's like, you can't even go out because you're exhausted by the time. You walk and the dog, poor Jones, he, it's up to over his, you know, his belly. Yeah. And so it's just, <laughs> he can't even run. I honestly kind of worry about injury, him trying to get through that, that thick stuff. So I, me and my buddies up here, we have not been able to run dogs. Um, so.
0: Yeah. You never, you never know what's under, underneath the snow too. Right. Like that. Yeah. that's.
1: Yeah, fun. And honestly, I just kind of worry about just pulling a muscle or, you know, like do, yeah. doing that deep, thick stuff. And cause it was like that heavy, wet snow. Right. Yeah. So anyways, but yeah. I third we complain. I mean, we live in a beautiful place. We live in a free country. This is this is awesome, and and it really is great
0: for the drought out here. Hopefully, it
1: helps at least a little bit. But it is it will be interesting to see how the birds fare for for next fall. So
0: yeah, we had a a brief before we have reached this point now where the snow is too soft and we're punching through. You know, all winter it was kind of light, fluffy snow, and so the dogs were kind of restricted to our packed trails and they go off and they Mm -hmm. check certain objectives and stuff but then we had this sort of magical period for the dogs where all of a sudden the snow was it wasn't hadn't warmed up so the snow was crusted over enough where they could run on top so it was like they had the whole woods back and they were cruising across the top of the snow for about a week and now they're uh, now we're back to uh really nothing until until again some of that snow melts but yeah it's it's nice to uh nice to start thinking about spring. So you mentioned a couple of activities. What else might you, might you be doing this spring?
1: Uh, well, turkey season open here. Okay. May 1st. I was going to ask about yeah. that. Oh yeah. I, it's funny. I live, I live in Utah. And when I first moved here, I love turkey hunting. I, I, it's probably one of my besides, you know, hunting birds and, and mule deer. I, I truly love turkey hunting. And, um, I'm, when I first moved here, I kind of asked people like, "Hey, you know, has the turkey season?" And I remember the looks I got from these people. They're like, "Turkey hunting."
0: <laughs> I don't
1: know if it's this. <laughs> yeah. Well, they just like they think they're just yard birds, like sure. the ranchers. You know, they're like, "Well." that's not very hard like it, we think they're you know nuisances they're out in the they're eating all of our whatever they're and i'm just like oh and so it's good it's kind of nice because of course there are turkey hunters here but i don't think it's as pressured as it is in the east sure. or the midwest because they really kind of think they're silly to hunt and so that's it, good for me i guess um but uh like i went and knocked on a door one day i saw some turkeys about hunting and i saw in this farmer's uh you know in the cattle next to the cattle and i'm like can i go hunt your turkeys and he kind of looked at me like Sure, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, <laughs> so it works out well for me. Um, so that'll open up on May first here in Utah and okay. Idaho opens. Uh, I think might be open, maybe right now or here soon on the fifteenth, maybe. And uh, I plan on doing that because that's that's fun to me. I mean. I've had a few months off from hunting and now it's time to get back to it. So
0: no doubt I'm right there with you. So did you get started now? I know, and actually I was listening to your episode. You were recently on uh, Lone Duck Chronicles with Bob and Kevin. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that you got, and we've had you on here obviously before, but you got started hunting, uh, later in life was Turkey hunting something that you started doing back in Ohio.
1: Yeah. So honestly, Turkey, my first true hunt was a Turkey hunt that okay. a friend at work, I worked at the U S sportsman's Alliance and my friend Jeremy took me out and, um, uh, truly was he, you know, wasn't your typical sitting a blind. It was a spot and stalk on his, on his family farm. Okay. And we had so much fun just, you know, roll, you know, di- dipping and diving and trying to get on these birds. And it honestly, it was so much fun that it really, it got me hooked. And I'm really glad that he took me on that hunt and made it uh, more interactive like that. So, you know, it super exciting. And we didn't end up tagging out on a bird, but we saw them and we had so much fun doing it. And um, so that was really my first experience hunting. And that was really what got me into it. And I think that's maybe why I like turkey hunting so much, because we just had such a such a good hunt together. And it was so interactive, you know, because turkey hunting can be, when that Tom comes in goblin and you've stalked in on him and man, your heart gets beaten. And, you know, that's just, it's awesome to me. I think it's a great hunt for a first time hunter to get him hooked. I really do.
0: Yeah, I, I would not disagree. The listeners will know, well, I've kind of, I'm sort of, I'd say I'm in the honeymoon phase of turkey hunting. It's just mm-hmm. just sort of getting my, my toes wet. And last year being the first time that I went out by myself and kind of, you know, had to do all the calling and did everything myself and, you know, challenging, but was successful. And I had encounters. I mean, I would have considered it a successful um, hunt around here had I not bagged a bird, but I was fortunate Mm -hmm. enough to get Mm -hmm. one, but yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out like what, you know, I hear people sort of be dismissive of turkeys and kind of, usually it's sort of the sentiment is like, yeah, they're all over the place. You know, how hard, how hard are they to hunt? But, but the, the springtime hunt with the gobbling and calling and, you know, the interaction, I mean, it's, it's a, I get it. Not everything is for everybody, but I'm, I'm pretty hooked at this point, especially given the time of year, like you said, you know, we've, we've had a break from chasing birds with the bird dogs and it's one of the first opportunities to get back out and do a little hunting and just something totally different. So I'm, uh, I'm really loving turkey hunting.
1: Right. It's just, it's just so fun. And it's just some, it's after, after the winter blues, the bird season's done. You've had a couple months off and it's just spring is green and springing and this gets you back into it. I I love it. I try to do like a, you know, at least go, you know, a few weekends and camp and (laughs) make it a whole thing. So So what's
0: the, what is your, what's the turkey hunting like out there? Are you, are you kind of spotting stock and imagine you're, you're on public land and well, I guess Mm -hmm. you said you knocked on a door, but give me the, give me the breakdown a little bit.
1: Yeah. So typical Western hunting, um, um, a lot of, you know, big, huge, landscapes and try to climb to a high point and glass them up right or okay. you know if you of course if you if you've done your due diligence done your homework and gone out and um you know spotted them long before the season you can go in and set up on them and all but typically go out and uh try to glass them up and then go in on them and call them in and um uh, or you know sometimes if you're hunting i was hunting uh some private land I, again i knocked on a door <laughs> and uh actually a really funny story from that knocking on a door and a cow biting me in the butt as i was trying to spot stalking <laughs> on this on this turkey <laughs> um but yeah just you know uh, glass them up and going on them so uh really fun to hunt them around here and of course you can set up a blind especially if you, you're hunting with a young kid or something but sure. really fun to spawn stalk so <laughs> yeah i was hunting I, I let that field that i was talking about i went and knocked on the door and they were out and, you know, he told me, well, be careful the cattle. They're out there. Of course, you know, I was, I was very conscientious of that. So yeah. I was trying to, I was on my hands and knees and I had a fan in front of me and I'm, I'm going real slow and I'm moving my gun and I'm moving the fan and I'm getting real close to him. And all of a sudden I felt this like tug on my belt. I was like, what? And I look back and no shit. This cow is <laughs> literally <laughs> behind me tugging, like eating my belt, like grabbing, like nipping at my belt. And I think because he was so confused on what I was, right? Yeah, no he was being out the camera, <laughs> when I got a fan in front of my face. And so imagine me trying to hold the fan, move the gun, and swat with my hand. Put the gun down, swat the cow away from me while I'm trying to get close to these turkeys. And I'm like, well, that's a first that I've ever been, you know, bit in the butt by a cow while I'm, you know, stalking in on a turkey. So it was so funny. And then the cow starts doing the, like, excited leaping jumps in a circle around oh me. because he's like. <laughs>
0: That would Needless have to say,
1: me. I did not kill those turkeys. Let's just <laughs> say.
0: A little too much commotion. It
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it was funny.
0: I've, I've, my turkey hunting has pretty much been limited to mostly big woods now, um, northern Wisconsin and Minnesota. My first hunt was a little further south where it was a more of a mix of kind of ag, open pasture, and woods. But I imagine being out there and just kind of using the topography to your advantage and being able to, uh, again, spot and stock would be, would mm-hmm. be very cool. To,
1: very fun. Just an interactive hunt, you know, just fun, fun yeah. to be out there and cool. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm looking forward to that as well, but we will, we will not talk too much turkeys today. I definitely want to, we want to talk upland birds and we've got some things to get into and in preview. I was just paging through, gundog magazine because i was refreshing myself on the sort of the teaser for the tv show that we'll talk about but are you a are you a lefty shotgun shooter
1: yeah i am mm-hmm. oh, okay yeah. i
0: saw i saw the photo of you and noticed the uh the garmin alpha on your right shoulder and then i was looking at mm-hmm. how you were holding the gun i'm like yeah think, yeah she must be a lefty
1: <laughs> yeah i am i am i'm actually cross-eyed dominant too i
0: oh really grew up my whole
1: yeah i grew up my whole life you know, athlete sports and just, I'm very adamant left-handed. So of course, when I, before I knew anything about shooting or shotgunning, I was like, well, I obviously shoot left-handed. Right. And so, um, but then I take that hunter safety course after I've already been shooting for a few years and they, you know, they do the eye dominance tests and I realize I'm cross-eye dominant. So (laughs) I've never switched. I just kind of compensate for it, but. So
0: do you basically um, close your right eye then?
1: I do, okay. yeah, because okay. I just, I'm just, i just so left-handed. I have tried shooting right-handed, and I could do it, I'm sure, with practice, but I think just the athlete in me, I've just stayed left-handed my whole life, so yeah. I kind of like being a lefty, honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so I find this interesting, because I've got two young kids now, and I'm, and actually my son and I, were we were at our, my parents' over the weekend, and we were playing around hockey sticks and he's well, I'm like trying to figure out like, okay, which which hand is he gonna be and um uh, but anyways, are are you do you write left handed? hmm Okay. Do, yeah. Okay. So you write left handed and you kinda of play all sports left handed, including mm-hmm. shooting a shotgun. So myself, I write left handed. But really. yeah, but I do all sports right hand and I'm right eye dominant. So I just it's just so interesting. Like I don't I've never really looked into this, but I don't know how much if there is you know, most things come to us naturally. I mean, that's how we sort of find ourselves doing it that way. But mm-hmm. is there is there nature versus nurture? And should I be checking my son's eye dominance at this point? Like, I just was thinking about that the other day. It's just- well,
1: it's kind of fun. I know, like, um, I know my grandpa, when uh, my uncle was young, he could tell he was leaning towards his left hand and he started forcing him to do right-handed things and forced him to be, right. you know, yep. right-handed. So yep. I'm sure of it, at, at a young age, you could change it. But I do think you can kind of tell when kids are favoring one hand over the other. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I actually recall hearing that from my, my mom, my grandpa was left-handed and he, they've sort of made him change for whatever mm-hmm. reason way back when, but yeah.
1: Well, I always tell people too, they, they ask me a lot, do you have trouble shooting shotguns? Do you have trouble shooting, you know, rifles, bolt actions? Um, and I always tell people when you're a left-handed person, you grew up in a right-handed world. Right. So you do, you're able to do things right-handed. Like I don't even notice. I'm, on a semi-auto that the shotgun goes across my face like I, honestly when i shoot a bolt action rifle they have i'm so used to the right-handed being right like doing it the right-handed Bolt that is on the right the yeah. Bolt is on the right yeah you have to rack it on the right i'm so used to doing that when that when someone tries to give me a left-handed bolt action i it's instinct for me to
0: right. pull up
1: my right hand so i yeah. prefer not to have a left-handed <laughs>
0: Yeah, and that's that's a little bit more of a complex of a mechanism. We get into that with shotguns a little bit. So what hand do you rack the bolt with?
1: So with your right one, so I do have to pull my eye off of the the scope a little bit. Um, okay, that's so, why, you, you, so you relief,
0: release your front lead hand grip and pull that back, and then mm-hmm. you're racking it that way. Yep. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, um, but I'm so used to doing that that when someone gives me a left-handed bolt action, that I my instinct is to pull up my right hand first.
0: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so. We get that question a lot. For up and Gun Company we will have lefties calling, and mm-hmm. and we're a good option for a lot of lefties because they can build a a left-handed shotgun that way. But. So almost surprisingly I guess it's not surprising anymore but most of the lefties are they're wanting to make sure that the top lever of the gun still functions the same way as a right-handed gun because, because that's it, right? what they're that's what they're used to and in the case of a shotgun it's a that's again a less complex sort of maneuver than
1: mm-hmm. the
0: bolt action even so they're always wanting to to make sure that we we have a regular top I totally lever Totally
1: agree. I <laughs> totally agree. It's a, you're just again you grew up in a right-handed world so Yeah you just get used to. it. You know they don't, they don't even make scissors that work for left-handed people so
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah. See and, and so that's that's a funny thing cuz like so yeah, I I do all of my sort of big compound athletic movements like a righty but then I write with a pen pencil with my left hand and then I mm-hmm. sort of like use utensils and and stuff. I don't know. It's just
1: That's kind it, of funny.
0: Just, yeah. Yeah, it is. I don't know how I wound up that way but I don't know how I wound up hosting a podcast about bird hunting either, Callie. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Choose the world.
0: Yeah. Things exactly, happen. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. So I did ask about the shotguns because I was, so are you, are you shooting a left-handed shotgun at all? It doesn't sound like it based on what you said.
1: Mm-mm. No, okay. I'm not sometimes, sometimes, but no, I, I don't. Okay. Um, And I'm, I'm taller, you know, I'm five, nine and, and, you know, just a taller female. So, you know, regular men, or I shouldn't say men, just regular shotguns, the length of regular shotguns fit okay. me just fine. So actually women's shotguns are too short for me. Um, you know, I can compensate and make it work, but um, I shoot just a regular fitting shotgun.
0: Okay.
1: I've, I have the arm length of a 747.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I, I was curious too, if, yeah, if you had gone down uh, the women's gun route or anything like that, it sounds like no, but so you, because you know a lot of semi autos and stuff have sort of shim kits, and you can make them mm-hmm, left handed, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound like you've, you fiddle with that too much. No, you just kind of no,
1: I do. Yeah. I just kind of compensate. I just just make it work somehow. Practice, go on practice. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Well, how are the dogs doing, Lincoln Jones?
1: Yeah, Lincoln uh, is a lab, and he turned nine in um, November, and
0: okay.
1: had a little bout last year where he got sick. wasn't really sure what was wrong with him, and thought he was gonna be a leave me too soon. And mm. he pulled through. So I'm happy about that. That's good. Um, And Jones is going to turn three in June here. And he, I've really seen a maturity level with him, you know, like you do normally around three-year-old dogs and um, his hunting and his pointing and his, just his training has come, you know, full front, full circle. And I'm, I'm super happy about it. So yeah. Couldn't have asked for a better dog from, from Jerry and Betsy at Northwoods and can't get enough of him. So
0: yeah, that's cool. I, I had, I jotted down some notes, uh, based on, again, I was listening to your interview with, uh, Bob and Kevin and, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so Jones is going to be three, uh, when's, mm-hmm. this, when's it like June or something? June 5th. June 5th. Yeah. June 5th. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And so I actually messed this up. I was on their podcast and I, I was getting mixed up if Rose was, two, she was two or going to be, she's going to be three also in Maine. We, yeah, because
1: she's, she's from the same, close s- to the same, same year. Not the same yep. litter, but same year. Exactly. I think she was, I think she came a few weeks earlier than Jack. Yes. Didn't she? Yep. She
0: was, yeah. she was like May 21st or 22nd was her birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I always remember that. I think,
1: I, I think I could have gotten a dog from that, her litter, but I, I so. wanted a, I wanted a tricolor and I think they only had liver and white.
0: That's in right. That one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, we could we could go on and on about that, but I'm I'm in a s- similar situation. We we've got dogs from the same kennel that that came from the same year, and we've got three seasons on them, and um, yeah, it's a uh, it's been you just
1: really see a difference, don't you? Yeah. Just to really, yeah. they come into their own after after two years of puppyhood, and now they're on their way. I
0: like I keep reminding myself, like I mean, roses, is, she is young, you know, relatively speaking, she's young. We mm-hmm. have a lot of future ahead, but given that we got. We've got three seasons in at this, but it's just like I feel like I've done so much with her, and she's been into so many birds, and and it's just uh, it's been a ton of fun, and I'm I'm super happy with with her development to this point, and obviously Isn't it
1: cool? looking yeah. forward is yeah. So I so if you would have talked to me, remember we talked to me two years ago, and I was so nervous mm-hmm. about Jones and his yep. training, and you know he hadn't pointed yet, and I was just like I'm messing this up, I don't know what to do, and and fast forward now two and a half years later and my associate editor for gun dog, Nathan Ratchford, he's just got his first pointing breed. He got a draw, thar, um, beautiful draw and named Wyatt. And he's, he's texting me 24 seven, you know, saying, <laughs> okay, what do I do? He's not doing this. He hasn't pointed yet. I'm so nervous. And I'm like, wow, this is literally me two and a half years yep. ago. Right. And I just tell him what I, we well, you know what we all, I'm like, help. He's going to do it, dude. Here, here's my advice. Here's what I would do differently. Here's what I did. And, and he, but, give him time. He's going to do it. And what do you know? He pointed his first birds the other day and it was so cool to see that happen for Nathan and, um, you know, just relive that whole experience. So.
0: Yeah. And that was one of the things I jotted down. I wanted to talk to you about that because it, I mean, I, I've heard it enough to to know that it's not an uncommon sentiment, but you're, you're going into this whole thing and you have so, so many questions And not enough answers, and it's just it's one of these things that you've just got to go through, but you're sort of over – I mean, I I don't know if you would agree with this, but kind of like overanalyzing, putting way too much pressure on yourself, wanting to – not that you're trying to speed it up, but you just don't really know how it's going to progress. And then when you can fast forward three years and look back, you kind of realize like, well, that was all – for nothing. I was
1: being silly. I was being stupid. You know, like he was going to point. He's this, you know, I learned things now, like a lot of, a lot of, I talked to a lot of trainers who, who, who trained both pointers and like Jerry, Jerry up in uh, Minnesota, you know, he's, he straight up told me one time, he goes, setters seem to mature a little bit later than other dogs. And so that was like my opening eye opening to me, like, well, yeah, that makes sense with Jones, you know? And, and um, if I look back now on the things that I was so nervous about back then, i'm like we were just i mean that was just stupid now looking back that dog was that dog's born to hunt and he's gonna hunt and (laughs) he's gonna find his own and of course you can help him along and you can um you know refine his training and do things but he's going to hunt um you know just by doing your due diligence and getting birds in his face yeah so it, it turned out it's turned out well and of course like you said, he's still three years old. He has a long way to go. He's yeah. going to bump a bunch of birds in the next two years. Right. You know? He is not perfect by any means. But let's just say I really saw a, a big change in him within the last year. And um, with the show and with this, my ability to be out here hunting, um, he had a lot of birds in his face. And that, that definitely helped
0: help things along that's for sure yeah yeah without a doubt i'm looking out my window here sorry this is a total distraction but i just saw a robin pull a giant nightcrawler out of the ground (laughs) we we started exactly spring has (laughs) sprung and i i've seen my first my first couple of woodcock uh here despite the snow now they're getting some bare ground i actually was wondering like can they get to the worms and i guess this robin out my window just proved it to me (laughs) funny yeah but yeah so the just once you see you see the dog develop, you realize that you were sort of, you know, totally overanalyzing and just and just like way overthinking things. But you hit on an important point. It's that idea that, you know, we understand that we have some control over the situation. We can sort of provide them opportunities. So when you're in it, you're just mm-hmm. like, What am I not doing that I should be doing? And that's part of where that uh friction comes from, I think.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I look back now with with things that I did that I I now know I would do differently when I get another setter. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, what are silly some of those things?
1: Like, uh, you know, I was worried about uh, introducing birds too soon mm. and I was worried about whether I teach him sit or whether I teach, you know, if it's bad for me to teach him heal, because if I teach him heal, is he going to be too scared to range out? You know, mm. I was worried about um, silly things like that. And after working a lot with um, a lot of my friends here in Utah, including Talmadge Smedley, who's, um, uh, rights for gun dog, yeah. professional uh, dog trainer, super big guy in the trialing world. You know, I spent weeks with him every the last two summers, just watching how he trains his setters and learning from him. And I now see all the things that I was so worried about. That was just, it was just out the window. Like you can't, you can't get bur- enough birds in front of them. And no heel is not going to, res- you know, keep their drive from wanting to stretch out and, you know, and sit, sit is a different command than whoa. Yeah. So <laughs> You know, so anyways, it was just stuff. I look back now, I know I'm going to do differently and, um, it didn't hinder Jones in any way. I just know I'm going to do it differently
0: next time. So, yeah, yeah. And I I imagine, you know, there's probably with every next dog, there's probably something, you know, you learn, you learn something new from each one. And especially, you know, for, for you and me, you know, we've got two dogs and that's in the grand scheme of things. That's not many. So I would imagine we're learning a lot with each dog without a doubt.
1: Oh, absolutely. I've learned so much from Jones and I'm so appreciative of him being, being patient with me and we're learning together and, um, couldn't, you know, honestly couldn't have asked for a better first setter. Yeah.
0: When you, when you sort of consider like his development up to this point, you know, in the pie, pie chart of his development has, what kind of role have wild birds played? Have they brought out much of what you're seeing in him? Anything? I know you, you did some pigeon work as well, but...
1: Yeah. So in the summertime, I felt, you know, I would of course do pigeon work because you know, it's it, around here in Utah, it's so hot. You can't run on wild birds yeah. just because you worry about rattlesnakes. And so anyways, but I, it's funny because you can tell a huge difference between, and I said this to Talmadge one day, I was like, he knows when he's, when he's running on pigeons and compared to wild birds mm-hmm. and Talmadge's like, Oh, 100%. They're just, they're just naturally smart like that, you know? And so I, there were times after Jones was really pointing wild birds back to back. Um I noticed when I would back in the summer when I was doing pigeon work, he'd crowd the pigeon a lot. And I said to Talmadge, like, well he's he knows he's on pigeons and he's crowding he's crowding the pigeon um, you know, the the, the
0: launcher. You know,
1: the launcher, right? Yeah. And he's like, Well he said, Yeah, because he's smart, so what you have to do is you have to treat the launcher like a wild pigeon. If he gets too close to that thing, launch it. You know? Yep. And so I started doing that. And so he's then started um, treating pigeons more like wild birds and giving them space because I didn't want him to get in the bad habit. I was afraid that that would carry over to the field where he's he's crowding wild birds too much, and we all know what happens when when they crowd wild birds right. so um but yes and and honestly, when I was running him on wild birds as well, I could see the dots clicking with him, mm. you know the, his first time that, that he he pointed a covey of huns out in the wild he got too close to him. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've read this story or not, but he, I come over, I'm, t- I'm telling my friend, I'm like, this is before he really started pointing. This was two seasons ago. And I'm like, I'm really sorry if he runs through wild birds today. And, you know, Jared, my buddy's like, hey, you know, he's just learning, it's fine. And we come over this rise and there's Jones standing tall. And he's, you know, he's, he's holding still. And I'm thinking, surely he's honoring my friend's drawthar, right? Because this dog doesn't point by himself. Yeah. <laughs> and, but all of a sudden I see his draught 200 yards past Jones running. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's pointing wild birds right now. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I didn't even walk close to him because I was so flabbergasted and surprised mm. that um, I kind of stood there and the, but the birds flushed and they were pretty close to him. So, but we walked, uh, you know, so, so I was all excited. So then we go and me and him split off and we go walk another hundred yards and he goes on point again, but this time he's given the birds, an ample amount of space and so they learn from these contacts right they learn just by having birds in their face and this past season he um we were hunting sharp tail uh in idaho and he's notoriously had some trouble with sharp tail i don't know if it's because they're not necessarily in big cubbies or what it is but he 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 runs through them so he ran he ran through the first one and then the second one uh he runs through the second one and on the third one he, he flash points and I see it. He's not sure. I see his tail, you know, waving. There goes the bird. And then on the fourth one, slams on point and doesn't move, you know? And it's like, it just takes contacts. It just takes
0: yeah.
1: repetitive practice. It's like we practice things. They practice things. Right. And so he point. there you go. Four times he pointed sharp tail. He finally understood. Oh, I know what that scent means. And I know what I'm supposed to do. And the last time I ran through this scent, the birds went away. So it was, it was really cool to be out there and see him really connect it and figure it out. And that's what wild birds do for dogs, you know, teaches them hard lessons and um, teaches them what they should and shouldn't do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a way that, that we just, can't set up, and um, in a way, you know, if you have if you have the opportunity to get on wild birds, it's a lot easier because you, know, you just go out and do that. You don't have to you don't have to have the grounds or the setup to do to do pigeon work yes, and that kind of absolutely. stuff. And so, I mean, yeah. as much as you can lean on wild birds, um, mm-hmm. certainly that. And is I a totally good get thing. that. It's,
1: I totally yeah, I totally get that it's hard. And you know, even here in Utah, we have we have we have nice bird numbers. Not you not super. Not like Idaho or other states. But I totally get that. There's some some states where you're going to have a hard time getting your dog on wild birds. Right. That doesn't mean that it's a bad thing to go run them in a natural environment and hope that you find something, because it, it can also teach them a lot of different things, just running them
0: in the in the wild. You Very know? true. So. Yeah. 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 The more time you can be out there, the better, which is obvious, I suppose. But yeah, um, yeah it just, it is really neat when, when you've got it, you get a series of contacts like that and you can kind of see progression and, and whether that's, you know, one day to the next Um, it's it's you got to kind of be careful and this is what I struggle with like taking a uh, black and white approach to you can't control for all the variables when you're out there so you sort of you analyze and you make your assessments and and sort of based on what you can but in Mm -hmm. the back of my mind I'm always like well you just really never know what scenting conditions were like winding was like but again when you see the dog doing it right and or trying to do it right and and progressing um, that mm-hmm. puts a smile 100%. on your face
1: it really does it's it's i i said this to someone the other day i hope that every time i every time i see jones on point now it's like the first time and i i hope it always <laughs> stays that way and yeah. i know it will you know but it's so cool to see your dog in the, you know just doing what he was bred to do and yeah and on point in this you know big beautiful landscape and it's just awesome it really is no feeling like it honestly
0: yeah it, it is it is awesome uh Lincoln and Jones, do they, do they run together at all? Do you pretty much run them separate? How do you handle that?
1: So I do run them separate. Now I will be honest this year, Lincoln didn't run very much because again, he got um, sick right in the heart of hunting season. Now what happened was, so my plan has always been hopefully to run them together. Right. But also run them separate. So I have two, two ready to go dogs. But um, this year I have been hesitant to run Jones with uh flushers obviously because I don't want him thinking he's a flushing dog right yeah. so I'm in South Dakota with my friend Natalie Krebs and she has um a young lab named Hatchet and he's he's learning and he him and Jones have kind of grown up together and we're hunting out there at the Dawkins who are good friends of ours oh cool and so when I hunt like say I'm hunting with Natalie and Hatchet I try to take Jones like far away right yeah. well of course the dogs get on the scent, scent of a of a rooster And they kind of start coming together because that rooster is is running um, in front of us. And it was kind of cool to see because Jones didn't care about Hatchet. So Jones would go on point and Hatchet would be in front, you know, with his nose to the ground, you know, trying to find that rooster. And Jones didn't move. And we honestly tracked this. So then Jones would (laughs) redirect, go on point, Hatchet would do the same thing. And it was cool to see because Jones, it was like he understood that's Hatchet's job. This is my job.
0: Right, right.
1: And so we ultimately ended up... um, jones redirected and went way up in front and i he i think he i think what he did was go around the rooster and pin him and hatchet had caught a scent to the right so he ended up going to the right so i ended up going to jones and we ended up flushing that rooster and i ended up killing it and that was wow. such a cool thing to see because yeah. you could really tell that they both these two they've grown up together they they used to be puppies now they're really grown up and were able to hunt together without jones breaking and thinking he was a flushing dog so it was a really cool moment for us
0: yeah so. yeah he didn't lose his they both sort of were confident in their own job like you said yeah it's i would uh i'd love to see that that sounds that sounds yeah. awesome
1: we we had started separate and then they kind of caught the same trail yeah. and <laughs> and i was kind of worried for a minute you know i'm like oh this i don't know about of this course. and then he yeah. he honestly he he held his point and hatchets in front of him and doing his flushing you know lab thing and jones didn't move so it was cool now will i I will continue when Nally and I hunt together, we will continue to try to stay separate, but that was the least cool for us to see. Uh,
0: right. Still. Yeah. You could, you saw some overlap there and it worked out, but you're, it's maybe not your top priority. And like you said, I, that's kind of what I found. I know, obviously I have two pointy dogs, but I thought I'd run them together more, but it's, it's typically, it's just the priority is to maximize right? the dog power. And so I'm always running rows separate and Hartley separate and, Not because I don't want to run them together, but again, it's just maximizing time on the ground and having fresh dogs, like you said. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and Fred of the Bird Shop Podcast, Mike Naduski, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many Upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the Upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next Upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com.
1: Right, having a fresh dog, it is really nice. Like, of course, you wonder, and it's hard to leave one dog behind, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> but yeah. Um, it's nice to have that fresh dog car. But So when you run them together, is there any type of competitiveness at all? Uh,
0: I would say a little bit. Um, it, it's so interesting because says Hartley – he grew up, you know, he's like, he grew up the only child. So he just, mm-hmm. Rose had such a, uh, a she got a lot more exposure to things that I was not set up to expose Hartley to. So like, I don't, you know, I don't fault Hartley for it. I fault myself or just, it, it is what it is. But Rose, you know, she got used to, and I was intentional about this. She got used to being left in the kennel and left in the crate right from day one. She became a natural backer right away because she saw Hartley pointing And, and she started backing him right away. So a lot of things like that, just Rose sort of just really developed seamlessly. Uh, Hartley is less inclined to want to honor and back Rose. Um, we, so I, I, again, I haven't actually hunted them together much with like when I'm carrying a gun now, when they would get into birds would be, uh, this time of year, if we're doing our exercise runs and get into wild birds, or if we're actually out looking for spring birds. And in that case, uh, they do pretty well together. They definitely are. They both are hunting on their own and they, they're, they're nice to run together. There's really no issue. The only question would be if Rose had a point, uh, can I get Hartley stopped and, and get him? wowed So I could go in and flush the bird? And We just haven't done that a lot, actually hunting, but I have seen it in the mm-hmm. spring and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, I I was, I was going to ask you because I had a listener reach out recently and he has not had a, he has not had a bird dog. He is, he's sort of looking ahead, probably going to be getting one in the next year or so. He's mainly a roughed grouse hunter, uh, Mm -hmm. has been a partridge hunter, which is something I joke about uh, before sort of my pre bird dog days, Uh, refer to myself as a partridge hunter. So that's what he is. And he's, he's, he's very much leaning towards getting a lab. Uh, Because he, some of the things that he's valuing are just sort of closer working dog, really likes the idea of a pointing dog, but is kind of under the impression that, that it might be easier to get a flushing dog going um, than Mm -hmm. a pointing dog. I mean, I, I really, I obviously was very upfront with him and he knows sort of my situation, but what would you say, you know, owning a lab and a pointing dog to that?
1: (sighs) you know i've had this question before with people and we get a lot of people to gun dog asking like what's a good first bird dog and mm-hmm. i think it really is i think it really is. i mean if you ask the setter guy they're going to tell you oh a setter if you ask the lab guys they're going to tell you a lab i've had both and i will tell you that in my personal opinion i do think for a first time or a lab yeah. probably um i think with a pointing breed it takes a lot of time and dedication and i'm not this is nothing against absolutely labs take time and dedication i think what i mean is i had to build a pigeon coop i had to find pigeons i had to get launchers you know what i'm saying yep. Yep. i i i think there was an extra step to training a pointing breed that with labs with the lab we could do bumpers we could do um you know could get you know frozen birds and i just for some reason i felt like a lab was a good it's a good family dog it's a first it's a good first dog not course <laughs> I will not say that they were any calmer than a setter. Right, I, right. I did not see Lincoln calm down until he was three years old. I just felt like with Jones, there was a lot of extra training to really bring out that point and refine them. That's so. I'm thinking if you don't have a lot of time, if you're really looking for a good family dog and just just. I'm not trying, I'm not, I really mean that. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm not trying to offend anyone because absolutely it takes a lot of steps to train a really good Labrador. 100%. I just felt like with Jones, there were some extra things I had to do that I'm like, man, this would be hard for a first time bird dog owner. I think, I think the lab was a good first step into owning a bird dog for me. And then I was ready for the next type of breed and the pointing side of things. Yeah, that's my personal opinion, but...
0: I I totally get what you're saying, and I'll I'll add, I didn't really ask a a great pointed question there for you, but so kind of what what I was talking to him about, and I'll give a little more context too, but that's sort of my assumption as well, and I think the biggest friction point, especially for the person that was asking this question, was this idea that you don't shoot not not pointed birds or you don't shoot you know that that's the sort of the big hurdle that i've oh, talked about a lot I with see. with the young okay. dogs and he's so he's coming at it from the uh, the perspective of he's a, a rough grouse hunter and he's walking through the woods and he's He's shooting any bird that gets up right you don't have a bird dog he's mm-hmm. he's shooting at anything, so this idea that he's going to get a pointy dog and then all of a sudden have to be careful of all of these restrictions and which birds to shoot and which birds to not shoot, which <laughs> we've talked about quite a bit it's it was it's way less complicated than I made it with my first dog um sure. and I feel in a much better place, but from his perspective and this was this was my assumption, my uneducated assumption not having a lab is that I kind of think basically a lab I need to keep it in range and that's mm-hmm. about it I, I've got a I can I can shoot at any bird that flies I don't have to worry about this you know bumped birds and and not pointed birds it seems simpler now I will fully admit that I'm I'm oversimplifying it in my mind and I would encourage you know lab guys or any, or flushing dog people anybody to sort of chime in and, mm-hmm. and provide feedback but that was kind of that was kind of my assessment of the situation. Knowing sure. there's much more that goes into training a flushing dog, all the things that you're saying. But I just think removing that one that idea of like, oh, we gotta be super careful with a pointing dog early on and not shoot birds where it's with a flushing dog if the bird is up and in range and the dog didn't screw you know,
1: absolutely, you just absolutely. Fire away. I, I do th- yeah, I agree. I, that that's a good point to even think of. There is when you're training a pointing dog, you kind of have to become you got to put your hunting, your hunting once behind you. Now yeah, it's about for a little bit at least, right? For a yeah. little bit, for at least a year or two, yep. right? And so you got to put that desire to quickly pull the trigger and bring a bird to bag behind you. Because if your pointing dog bumps that bird, you can't shoot it. Mm-hmm. And I totally get what you're saying there. So if he's just, if he wants to become a non-shooter for a couple of years and then get a pointing breed. If you're you know if the retriever if you're going more of the retriever out, you do have a little bit more of a a window there where as long as the dog is in range, you can shoot the bird for it and reward that dog yeah um I totally get what you're saying there, and again, this is it one hundred percent takes some serious time and effort to train a labrador to be steady and heal and right. work within range and and fetch and you know not eat your bird and bring it to hand, so this is nothing against rich i have a lab for god's sake you know i have yeah. i love my lab to death Those was my first bird dog i'm just for some reason i just felt like there's there there's this extra step to training the pointing breed mm-hmm. that so for a first time bird dog owner i just feel like a lab is maybe the way to go to get your feet wet and then get into the pointing dog world
0: yeah <laughs> yeah well yeah and and again to sort of to put a point on this this person was knowing that I'm a that I've had two setters and not a lab, but he was asking me like, "Is he crazy for considering a lab?" And I basically said, "Absolutely not. In fact, mm-hmm. I I think it might be the ideal ideal dog for this person." And then that's kind of where I was sort of trying to give my again no, over guess. oversimplified assessment. But I feel like um, I've kind of in, in agreement with you that it may very well be the uh, a good first bird dog choice unless you know well, all these and, other things
1: well you say that too and honestly there's a there's another side to it too think of it the touche to you guys who are up there hunting those north and north northwoods grasswoods, because now he needs to keep this in mind when he's hunting with a flushing dog he better be ready at all times right right, <laughs> right? Yep. you got to be ready to go because that dog's not stopping to flush a bird unlike we had a pointing dog he'd point the grouse he yep. had time to walk up and but he better have that you know i know a ton of people who um you have labs for the grouse woods. Yeah. So I don't think that's a strange idea at all. I think, I think both are iconic dogs and both are going to do the job for you just with a lab, be ready at all times because when he finds a grouse, he's going to get it up in the air. So yeah. ready, you're ready or not.
0: So, right. yeah. And I, yeah. That, and I think that's one of the common things you hear from folks that are sort of, um, separating like why they like a pointing dog versus it's the, with the flushing dog, you got to be ready all the time, which mm-hmm. I, sometimes I smile when I hear that. Cause that's kind of how I hunt grouse again, growing up without a dog. That's how I sort of do it. Mm-hmm. So I've got my pointing dogs running in the grouse woods, but I'm still like all keyed up all the time. So I, I, oh, yeah. I I'd like to hunt with a flushing dog too, but that also, I feel like I hear often enough from folks that Maybe they come from the same background that myself and this listener where they grew up hunting without a dog and then you get a pointing dog and you'll hear people say, I feel like I could kill more grouse without my dog. And I do, under, I do understand the sentiment. I think it has a lot to do with that sort of early early stage pointing dog stuff where you're you're passing up opportunities it can kind of give you that feel and i even probably felt that way for a couple years with hartley because it's just a total change of of how i was doing things now Mm -hmm. i would say that i've learned how to hunt with my pointing dogs we've we've come into contact with and find so many more birds than i than i did without a dog that there's there's just no way i mean i just i i definitely out hunt my my old self with my pointing dogs but that's mainly because of opportunity it's not necessarily our effective rate but it's just we're sure. encounter, encountering so many more birds
1: well also it's just fun to have a dog <laughs> yeah it, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. there's, there's many reasons you. i would not go back to that
1: right i just love having a dog a companion and i wouldn't trade it for the world but i yeah i totally get it. i don't think you know, people say that oh, you need a dog to hunt hunting bird. Not necessarily. No, you don't. But you might put a little more miles on the boots before you find birds, yes. maybe. Yeah. And and there is something to say after you've downed the bird. I can't tell you how many times, like, with my eyesight, I couldn't find the bird until my dogs came in. Yes.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. and that's the you know, that's really the one of the main reasons. And is specifically for this listener too, is he was uh, very eager to not losing birds because of because he wasn't able to find them having the dog on the yeah.
1: ground. I can't tell you how many times I've been like literally standing over the bird and it just oh, yeah. blends in with the environment and the dog comes in. It's like right here, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. like, well, your nose <laughs> is about 24 times yeah. what mine is. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. But one other thing that you mentioned there that I think is, is a good point to highlight is, and that is, you know, when you're considering this whole dog business and pointing dog, flushing dog, you you'll, you hear lots of generalizations and I understand why that happens, but the pointing dog is a high, strong and too much energy and not a house dog, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. You and I both know that's not true. Um Mm-mm. you can you can find you can find pointy dogs that have the off switch and that's a well talked about thing. So you you want to be careful when you're sort of wading through all this stuff and it it can be kind of murky waters, but if you hear sort of a broad stroke of the brush or a generalization Uh, might require some digging into because a lot of that stuff that you tend to hear is not universally true.
1: No, it's not. And it all comes, of course there are dogs that are more wired than other ones. I mean, you can't deny that, but what it comes down to is obedience training. You can, you can reel that in a little bit with obedience training. And so of course setters are, are they're, I've always found that Jones has a great off switch in the house, but as soon as I bring out that e-collar or like a leash, holy moly, he goes nuts, right? Because they love doing the stuff outside. And of course they are fanatics in the field. They can run for miles without losing energy. But in the house, he comes home and lays down on his dog bed and (laughs) he sleeps 90% of the day. (laughs) So but it comes down to obedience training, Like I don't allow him to act crazy. Yep. You, you know what I'm saying? I, my expectation is that you're going to be a calm, cool and collected dog. And, and when you start bouncing off the walls, we put you at heel and we're like, Nope, we get that under control real quick. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So yep. it, it just comes down to obedience training and not allowing your dog to, to act crazy. Um, and just reeling that excitement in to be like, Hey, this is how we act. This is what we like. And we talk calmly and coolly to them and, and have certain expectations in the household. Yep. Um, to let them know that that's just not acceptable behavior, basically.
0: Yeah, so. couldn't agree more. And and obviously, all three of our setters are all from the same kennel, and I think um, that it's worth mentioning that Northwoods Bird Dogs is definitely selecting for those those kinds of dogs, mm-hmm. and um, we're benefiting from that. But like you said, yeah, I, my two are they they definitely sort of anticipate. their I'm always amazed at like how you know, and I imagine most dogs are this way, but I guess I don't know. Is like how you know, routine oriented they are like, they know kind of generally when we're going for the walk and, you know, they say you get oh, yeah. dressed and they're getting excited. So they're always anticipating and looking ahead. But mm-hmm. um, once we sort of do that stuff and then we're back, I mean, they're, they're lying on their beds and, and sleeping most of the day, like you said.
1: Well, it's funny that you say it. Cause that honestly, that was one of the part of the reasons why I went with Jerry and Betsy, because when I, when I visited, um, their kennel facilities i when i first drove up of course the dogs are in their runs and they're barking right a car drives up yep. but i got out of that car and those they had what 20 dogs in their kennels 10 20 setters they didn't make a peep yep. they didn't bark after that and i said to jerry i was like did you you know i don't know what i i don't know if i said train him or is he goes and he just told me well, we breed them to be calm, calm like this. You know, we have our dogs in the house and we, we have certain expectations for them. And I was like, wow, like, that's awesome. That is what I want in the setter, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yep. I had, the, I had the exact same experience when when my wife and I went there. This would have been 2013 or 14. Went there, the, you know, they made a little commotion when you pull up, you know, they're barking or whatever. But then you go in there and I remember looking in the corner of one of these runs and just seeing this stoic, just amazingly handsome dog sitting there just Mm -hmm. so relaxed, so nonchalant (laughs) happened to be grits who is the sire of all all three of our dogs. And I just remember just being kind of, and I hadn't been around a lot of, you know, high quality bird dogs like this. So it was sort of a new experience for me in general, but I just remember looking at that dog thinking like, wow, that is, that's a specimen and what a cool, relaxed dog.
1: Right. I literally, it honestly sealed the deal for me because it's like, Oh, okay. Like they're really cool, calm, calm setters. And yeah. that's what I found with Jones. Now I'm not going to act like he's not crazy sometimes. Right, of right. course he is. We we laugh when we say that he parkours <laughs> off the walls. Like, okay, like, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and tell everyone he is calm all the time, but he, he, ha- I have a certain expectation for him. He right. definitely is a setter and you have to do your due diligence of running and exercising them or they're just, yep. that's what they're bred and made for. Um, but in the house, he is the sweetest, most loving, cuddly dog you can ever imagine and and honestly he has made it that i well one lincoln is my you know you have that one forever that forever dog sure. and lincoln's that for me but i after lincoln i don't want another lab because i can't replace him and two i just fall in love with the setter setter breed Just there it is awesome yeah. so
0: yeah, we're pretty regimented as far as getting our, you know, you get your get your run and get your exercise for the day. And as long as we sort of check that box, then everything's pretty relaxed. If if our schedule gets hectic around here and we maybe I don't get out for a run or something, which is pretty rare, but it happens. Um, Rose mm-hmm. usually lets me know that by uh, going to town on like a pair of my Sperry's or something. So i oh, she God. she doesn't really chew on stuff, but she I feel like she does it when she was trying to send me a message. So
1: absolutely. uh, That is what Jones does too. Oh, he tears the corners out of pillows. Does your dogs do
0: that? (laughs) Not, not pillows, but it's, it, it doesn't surprise me that it's like a certain thing, you know, a specific thing that they get into. (laughs) Yeah. So now I, I just have a, a pair of, of Sperry's that basically Rose has, you know, she's had her way with them, but she, she hasn't touched my new ones yet, which is, you know, I, I guess I probably shouldn't risk it, but she, she'll no. just go, well, I'll see those Sperry's sort of laying out in the middle of the garage. And that's when I know Rose needs some attention. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's funny. I, my dog, like I, my dogs get spoiled, right? So Jones will sometimes go in a kennel when I leave sometimes he won't. And this week I had to quickly put them in, my, my dad was visiting. And so I had to quickly put them. Um, not where they normally are and i put him in my room and i kind of looked at my now keep in mind he hasn't been able to run right because when i've got visitors in town to the snow and i looked at my pillows and i put him, i put him off the bed because i'm like i know he'll eat a corner out of a pillow (laughs) because he hasn't been ran like it's funny you just know your dog you know he's hyper and he hasn't been ran and that's the one thing he doesn't chew up shoes he doesn't chew up he never bites anyone like he he has the softest mouth but by golly, if he's hyper, he will chew the corner off of your pillowcase.
0: <laughs> Watch out <laughs> like, for the what pillows. What <laughs> is that?
1: What yeah. is that? Yeah.
0: And maybe yeah. it, maybe that, you know, is that the weird setter? Be- I don't know. But, yeah, I've definitely experienced some of that. <laughs> so it sound, <laughs> I, I heard you mention that it sounds like Jones is a retriever.
1: Yeah, he, he is. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast about swimming. And it it's so funny because he is the most – awful swimmer but fun you know he swims but he you know okay. they go in there and they're like <laughs> splashing their front paws around like um anyways I do think so when I went to Jerry and I said, Well I would like my setter to retrieve, Jerry said to me, Listen, you're either gonna get a really good pointing breed or you're gonna get, you know, a retriever. You gotta you know, they have specialties. And I said, Okay, I understand that. So I truly, you know how they, some people believe that older dogs can teach younger dogs. Mm-hmm. I, I have seen that firsthand between Lincoln and Jones. And when Jones is little, I, of course, was playing fetch with Lincoln in the lab. And and Jones just love. he idolizes Lincoln. And so he saw that. And I truly believe he caught on to that from from Lincoln. And I have had very minimal training with Jones of fetching and retrieving. And that dog can't get enough. He loves it. Yeah. loves it. Throw a tennis ball and he will play for hours of fetching the tennis ball back to you. But the first time he did it was I was in the throwing fetch to Lincoln in the water. Lincoln's jumping in and Jones is so upset on the side. Like Lincoln's going to do something fun. And I'm like, well, get in the water then. Like do it. <laughs> and he did. He just jumped right in. And he went and fetched up that tennis ball like he'd been doing it forever. And ever since then, he just, he loves it. Can't get enough of it. Loves swimming, loves jumping in after a tennis ball and bringing it back. Yeah, so
0: that's cool. He, I,
1: he does it with birds too. Now, he doesn't bring them all the way to hand like Lincoln does. Okay. But he'll at least bring them, you know, so that you don't lose a bird.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's
0: cool. Yeah, and, th- and that's kind of what, that's kind of what Rose, now Rose could care less about a tennis ball, but she is a very reliable, you know, hunt dead, pick them up and prance around with them. <laughs> like she yeah. She pretty much goes and gets every girl. She just doesn't bring them back to me. And I've talked to Justin McGrail and Jerry a little bit that, you know, I haven't put in the work to really get that recall and the hold and carry sure. and stuff, but um, it works for us in the woods. But I do think that's interesting. I feel like I've seen enough to say that certainly the younger dog can, you know, is sort of impressionable and whether um, certain c- c- scenarios are sort of competitive in nature or whatever it is. I do think they're, they're clearly picking up on, on things from the older dog. Now it's, is it going to teach your younger dog to do everything from A to Z? No, but, um, mm-hmm. there's some, there's right. some impression there and some, some behavioral stuff that I think develops just with multiple dogs being around each other.
1: 100%. I've seen it firsthand. Like it's, it's okay. cra- even obedient stuff. It, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm the same way with you. The Rose, or like Rose, she picks it up. Jones does the same thing. And he at least brings it, you know, partly back so you can find the bird. Yeah. I don't care if he, you know, yeah. at least he brings it to me. So right. um, there was one particular incident this fall. I was hunting in Idaho and I shot uh, huns. They flushed near a, near a edge and they went down over the edge and, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to have to make a really bad climb. I'll never find that bird. And Jones saw him go down, and he went right over there. He disappeared for a second. He comes right back over with that bird in his mouth. Like That's So awesome. he wants to retrieve. Yeah. He wants to, you know.
0: Yeah. So it was pretty cool. Total segue here. Kevin and Bob, you mentioned on that interview that you only you – were, you were talking about your – was it the Alaska trip?
1: hmm Yeah,
0: so an mm-hmm. Alaska trip, and you sort of casually said – you only had one incident with a grizzly bear and those guys sort of breezed <laughs> over it. And I was like, wait a minute, what happened? What happened with the grizzly oh, bear? So I made man. a note. I had to ask you about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I did a, um, I did I um, uh, did a DIY Alaska caribou hunt this year with a couple of uh, my girlfriends and We got dropped in the backcountry, and we're hunting caribou, and, of course, we're in the heart of grizzly country. So the whole time, I had bear spray. They both had 10-millimeter pistols, and we're being very aware every time we get a caribou on the ground. You know, one of us is on watch while we're butchering, and we had just gotten—we had got—we had had on caribou number three, and we had just gotten our packs loaded up, and, you know, probably 80 pounds each— We're hiking over that tundra, which if you've ever seen tundra, it's like muskeg and these big balls of grass. It's like ankle breakers, right? And I had my, so I had my head down with my hiking poles because I'm watching my feet. And all of a sudden I hear Tess, my friend, say, we have a problem. And I looked up and you know, that's tundra. Yeah, it's tundra. So you can see for miles, right? Uh, I just saw this black speck on the horizon and he probably was only 300 yards away from us. And immediately I'm like, oh boy and what it was is the wind was going right towards him from the carcass Mm. we had just been out literally the wind is going right towards him and oh so they (laughs) a friend had told me in alaska the grizzlies in alaska aren't like the grizzlies in lower 48 where the grizzlies in lower 48 they like they know what people mean right they mean trash and and food and um in the in alaska they don't see as many people so typically when a bear they're scared of humans when they smell human scent so anyway so we um we got our we just got he was so big <laughs> that i could probably almost see the whites of his eyes mm. and he's he saw us and he stood up in his hind legs and i'll never get that no image kidding. out of my Oh my God. He was standing up on his hind legs and sticking his nose in the air, you know, like looking at us and we just got real big. I put my, we put our trucking poles up in the air and going, Hey bear. Hey bear. And they had, they each had drawn their pistols. And, um, this is is when he's
0: still like 300 yards away, basically. Yes. Yes.
1: And, um, they, uh, maybe I blacked out. I don't know. They think he bluff charged a little bit. I, I was more <laughs> focused on being like, hey there, hey there. Yeah. And luckily something was with us, right? Because the wind was heading right for him and he caught our scent and he turned and he hightailed it. But I'll never forget, wow. you know, grizzlies have that like silver patch on their back, right? Mm-hmm. I could see that scene, thing shining in the sun. I mean, he was a big boar. He was big. And so, whoo, talk about heart thumping. So we, let's just say we hiked a little bit faster after that because we've got, We've got fresh caribou on our right. back, right? right? We've got blood all over us, and I've got, we've got 80 pounds in our back. So talk about hiking and looking over your shoulder, hiking and looking over your shoulder, making sure that that bear's not coming back. And um, he never did come back. And so an Alaskan guide had told, told a friend that, that once they smell humans in the area, they don't come back. And it makes sense because we glassed up the carcass afterwards, and he never did come back for
0: hmm. it. Interesting. So,
1: um. But let's just say he was close enough that I was like, we were ready for a gunfight. It was. How (laughs) how did you sleep that night? So, (laughs) it's it's kind of funny. It was um, honestly, it was the hike back, and we get back to camp, and that we get back back safely. And I think your adrenaline is running so much that you don't realize it until you're back at camp, right? Like you're kind of like, I made it. I made it without a. A grizzly hopping on my back right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was definitely I think we all had to sit down and be like oh and just take a breather right. like wow that was something that you don't experience ever or often so um it was good and we, we were we had a a tent to sleep in and then we had our, our cook camp that was set up about a 100 yards away and so yards, we, okay. yeah we made sure that um downwind too and we made sure that all of our bloody clothes every night went in there and all of our packs and you sure. know, nothing that a bear would want would be in the sleep tent. So, um, it was definitely, I mean, when we got dropped and that bush plane took off and we realized we are there for seven days, I mean, you, you're like, all right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like nothing, if something happens, nothing's going to be here real quick to, to help you out. So we were, you know, we were very aware of our surroundings and trained and, and, and ready for it. But, um, it was definitely a a very unique experience so that's yeah, cool
0: that's really cool i've ne- never done anything quite like that but i definitely Im- imagine i would have some of those feel you know you see that plane take off and it's, it, it's, it's one is, of those things it's surreal. You, yeah you find yourself mm-hmm. out and it's like everything's fine until something isn't and then it's oh, like whoa, like you know all the contingency planning and everything but yeah wow that's that's cool
1: it was neat it was a cool experience and of course the last last night we're hiking out and the sun's getting, well, the sun's, you know, in Alaska, it doesn't get dark till 10, but the sun's getting lower and we come to this crest and this covey of ptarmigan flushes oh. off the top of this rise. And it was, it was cool. And that was the only ptarmigan we saw the whole trip, but it was kind of a good ending, right? Yeah. Good
0: ending to the trip. Nice little sign. Yeah. Would you do it again? When, I'm doing it again next year. Oh,
1: nice. <laughs> 100%. That's yeah, cool. absolutely. Absolutely. It was um, a very unique and cool trip and cool to do it with my friends and, you know, so you got You got to do it.
0: Yeah, awesome, awesome.
1: Maybe I'll bring my shotgun this time, though. I might do that. So, what,
0: what time of year was it again? It was did you say September? Mm-hmm, It okay. was September.
1: We got okay. back on Labor
0: Day. So, like, so you, we you could have shot birds, week, birds I'm assuming.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think so. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the. Exact yeah, I think date they
0: yet. opened in August at Alaska. Usually mm-hmm. does, so,
1: I, but I, that was the only cubby we saw. I was really surprised. But it'd be. I, I'm going to become prepared next time. So. <laughs>
0: Well, speaking of adventure, a little different form of adventure, uh, starting next week, you got a TV show coming up that was uh, All Hunts film last fall. Let's let's get a little sneak peek preview of it, Callie. What's the deal?
1: Sure. So um, it's called Wild Upland, and I'll be 100% honest with you and say that when they when my company told me that, um, I was to do a TV show, I didn't want to, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care about that. And I care about just hunting with my dogs. And I told them it's going to be very, very hard to film a wild bird hunting show. I said, you know, it's not, we're not going to be able to get these dogs close up on point. We're hunting wild birds. And, and I said, okay, well, if we're going to do this, then we're going to do it the way that we, that we hunt. And so, um, we went and we called it wild upland because that's what it is. And it's, it's wild bird hunting and it's, the, the true story behind wild bird hunting, the ups and downs, the misses, the friendships, the good dog work, the bad dog work, uh, the unique places that we go, the greasy diners that we frequent. Um, <laughs> you know, we wanted this to be very different than than your your regular hunting show. Sure. Um, so it's not gonna be on day one, we killed this many birds, you know. There could be a show where we don't kill any birds at all because that's wild bird hunting, right? Yeah. So um between me and my associate editor, Nathan, uh, we did some really cool unique hunts this year all across the country. He stuck to the East Coast. I stuck to the West. And we're hoping that uh, viewers like it and they like the truth behind it and the, the wild bird aspect. And um, we're hoping we came up with something really unique. And I, I think we did. So we're really excited about it.
0: Yeah. well, I I like the name Wild Upland. So, so clearly, yeah, it wasn't your idea. It wasn't sort of a project that you were spearheading, but when, when the idea was pitched to you, was it, Hey, let's do a wild bird hunting show or like, like how much, uh, you know, sort of. Mm-hmm. Tailoring it, did you do of, of what the or, uh, original concept was, if you get my? Sure.
1: So, uh, my company owns the Outdoor Channel and the Sportsman Channel, right? Okay. And then we yeah. own all these outdoor magazines. So, it's always kind of natural for the magazines to have a TV show that goes along sure. with them. You know, I used to do Peterson's Hunting, I did Peterson's Hunting TV. And so, it always is kind of the natural progression is hey, because you remember we blew up Gundung and we made it big and better. And yeah. so, the natural progression was okay, now we need a TV show to go along with it. And so, they came to me and said, We would like you to do this. And I said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it. We want to do it unique in a different way. And of course, they were, they leaned on, on us because we are the upland, you know, hunters. And so they were totally open to the idea. And they love the idea of doing something new and unique. And um, they, you know, we tried, we kind of wanted to be more discovery channel-esque where, it's not about how many birds we have on the tailgate. It's about the hunt and the experience, the people and the dogs, like places, what is yeah. gun? Yeah. The places, like what is gun dog? The dogs. We love our dogs. Yeah. This is about the magazine is about the dog. And so we really wanted it focused on that. And then we wanted to focus on the places and the unique things that we do and go and see. And, you know, you know, how many times, how don't you love going on a morning hunt and then finding the greasiest old diner you can find in the area and, and having a, you know, a breakfast or a lunch, right. That's part of the experience and meeting all those people at this old coffee shop. And, or, you know, think about it. We go down to Arizona and we hunt Arizona and we're right next to tombstone, like Mm. one of the Western historical, you know, places in the world. And, um, or I actually went to Florida this year to hunt snipe. Oh really? Yes. Sniper real. And and (laughs) I've heard
0: from my buddy, Nick Adair.
1: (laughs) So, but I'm down there. I'm like, I'm in Florida. Why would I not deep sea fish? You know, like just unique things like that. Sure. And so we tried to really make it cool. Or Nathan's up in Maine and he's hunting the, you know, Maine is this iconic state to hunt grouse, right. And yeah. so much history and and history up there and just trying to capture that for our viewers and, and not so much make it about um, killing birds, but the hunt and the people and the dogs. Yeah. So I'm hoping we captured that and I hope people like it and We've been approved for a season two, so that that must be a good thing, right? Yeah,
0: season season two, awesome. So, all right. So you kind of you've alluded to that this is going to be sort of geographically diverse. You've hinted at some Mm -hmm. locations, and what I'm already thinking ahead to, even though I haven't seen an episode, thinking ahead to season two. Like what what did you not do in season one? That is there anything that you're like, yeah, we got to do this in season two.
1: Oh, well, I, you know, a lot of this filming was definitely done with like my friends. Like, so like, you know, just fall places where I normally would hunt and bring in, you know, my friends and their unique dogs along with it. So honestly, we, Nathan and I are always just like, well, I, I could, could be hunting up with you, Nick. Like, what do you, where do you want to go hunt? Like, take, <laughs> you know, you want to go meet up in uh, the grouse woods of Minnesota? Let's do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're going to, we're going to come up with some, some other places that we didn't hit up this year. And my camera guys, of course. So it's funny. We hired a camera crew, um, out of Florida. They're, they're not even, they're not upland hunters. They're big deep sea fishermen. So okay. I felt kind of bad. Dra- I felt kind of bad dragging them up the Chucker mountains a few times, <laughs> but they loved it. And so anyways, they're like, we could go to Hawaii and hunt, you know, the upland birds down there and do this spear fishing and we can go to Alaska and do, you know, the ptarmigan. So we've got a bunch of stuff that we, we want to plan for next year and, and just do something unique and, you know, crazy. And, um, you know, hopefully find something that people want to see so i'm excited about it i'm we're already putting some plans and works and this year we did um idaho utah arizona south dakota maine south carolina i mean it was north carolina florida north North
0: carolina i think north carolina part yeah
1: and we were just all over the place. So it was cool and, you know, hoping to do some more unique things next year. So,
0: yeah. So I imagine we'll, we'll see Jones and, and Lincoln and, and probably mm-hmm. if you're out with your friends. There, there'll be some other dogs and stuff in the show.
1: Yep. So we hunted with some, uh, Gordon setters, both, both Gordon setters out here in Idaho and then Gordon setters in North Carolina oh, with, cool. with Steven.
0: Yep.
1: And, um, uh, we've got labs, we've got, uh, drawthars, Uh, we've got pointers, you know, so we're, we're doing the whole gamut, man. We don't, you know, we, we love bird dogs, whatever, whoever hunts is going to be on there. So
0: cool. Awesome. Anything, whether it was, whether it was related to the show or not, anything, any new and or unique experiences for you last fall, we didn't really talk about your, your hunting season, but did you hunt any new uh, snipe? I imagine was new for you. But.
1: So I've only hunted snipe once before. And that was in Texas. So I was on a duck hunt and the okay. ducks were slow. So they were like, do you want to go out and hunt snipe? And I'm going to tell you what, if you want to be humbled real quick with your shooting abilities you and go and hunt snipe. <laughs> Have you ever hunted them before? I have
0: not, but I I I need not be convinced because I have seen snipe around here, and it's usually, typically where I see them is is kind of September. It's usually I feel like it's usually early grouse season. Walking mm-hmm. down a trail, and a bird will get up out of a puddle, and they just they do not hold like a woodcock does. They just it's like by the time you recognize it's a snipe, it's gone.
1: Oh, absolutely, and yeah. it's like. I, I, i so there's footage of me hunting in florida where i shoot and i say to the camera well the bird i was i had my bead on the bird or my shotgun on the bird and when i pulled the trigger it literally curved left yeah. like it knew the shot was coming it will humble you so quickly they like seem they very fish,
0: nimble in the air
1: nimble yeah. nimble fast little flyers yeah. right and so uh but really cool hunting experience and um um, you know, I'm trying to think what else I did this year. I hunted down in Arizona for the first time for Merns, Okay, which was awesome. Yep. Went down there with Patrick Flanagan and, mm. um, beautiful country and awesome birds to hunt and, you know, beautiful dog work and, um, hunting. I'd never hunted. I've hunted Northern Arizona. I'd never been down. We were really close to the border down there. So that was an awesome experience. And other than that, you know, just doing, Idaho and Utah, and we did hunt swans um, this year in Utah. Well, I should say my friend had a tag, so we tagged along for that. Oh, to see wow! Just like a
0: like a trumpeter swan.
1: Yeah, so you can draw in Utah, and you draw you can draw about every three years. And my friend's uh, son had a tag, so we're like, can we tag along for this? Because like seeing a a swan, you know, decoy in, right. talk about a huge bird, right? Really cool experience. So. We did awesome. We did cool things all over the place. And yeah. I, I couldn't have been, honestly, it was a great, great for me. Cause then I could get Jones on, on so many birds. Right. So I'm really excited about it. I think people are going to enjoy the uniqueness of the show and the truth behind it. And then showing the passion behind upland hunting and the bird dogs that do it. And or I'm hoping that I'm hoping that people really like it. So yeah. it's on the outdoor channel, um, the outdoor channel on, It'll air on April 18th,
0: the first episode, April 18th. So. All right. So, yeah. So next week, depending on when people listen to this, what is in, what's the deal with outdoor channel? Uh, as far as like, like, can we access that anywhere streaming platforms? What's a, I don't know how well versed you are in that. but
1: Sure. Yeah. So outdoor channel is, will of course be on your typical, um, cable channels, right. if you have the big package, right? Right. You can also do, our company has what's called MOTV. It's My Outdoor TV, and it's basically the Netflix, but for hunting shows. Okay. So you pay a monthly fee and you get access to these library of hundreds of, of hunting shows, and, and it will be on there as well. So okay. it's MOTV.com, and um, so it is available on there. Or if you have the outdoor channel, if you like already like watching hunting shows, uh, it'll be on there on April 18th.
0: Awesome. Did you say 10 episodes or am I making that up? Mm-hmm. First season will be 10 okay. episodes. Yeah. All right. Cool. Awesome. Well, it, it was cool to cool to hear a little bit more about that. And always great to catch up with you, Callie. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Birdshot Podcast. Where can folks go to check out all the cool stuff you're doing with Gundog and the show as well?
1: Sure. So you can find us at uh, gundogmag.com or that's on the website. Or you can find us on Instagram at gundogmag. You can follow along with me at Callie Parmley on Instagram, K A L I P A R M L E Y, and uh, you'll be able to see some some good stuff, uh, some teasers to the show, and all of that. And then, of course, uh, subscribe to the magazine and get all your your dog training info that you want, upland hunting info, and uh, follow along with us.
0: Yeah, definitely do that, folks. I've been a Gun Dog subscriber since I, I guess maybe not long after the after the revamp you did, and um, it's definitely mm-hmm. a it's a visually stunning magazine and lots of great stuff in there. So um, yeah, I'm, trying, I'm still there, trying to get
1: you to write, still trying to get you to write for us. So <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, one of these one of these days I'll I'll <laughs> write an article on Hazelbrush or something perfect awesome. <laughs> well
1: thanks for having me on and letting me spread the word I'm on am upland so
0: yeah I appreciate it Callie it was it was a blast as always best of luck to you turkey hunting this spring you and I will stay in touch and hopefully our paths will cross again soon but hang on for just a second that does it for this episode of the bird shot podcast thanks for tuning in everybody Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast.